The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The gospel of the Lord. Pray with me, please. We pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, speak today in the power of the Spirit that we might have ears to hear what you're saying to your people and that we might have hearts to respond, that we may grow more into your likeness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you that are visiting today, we are in the midst of a series that started a couple of weeks ago. We are considering the fruit of the Spirit as we find it in Galatians chapter 5. Paul lists out the very character of God that's manifest in, in the people of God. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. The character of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These very characteristics, these supernatural characteristics that God wants to grow in us. As Paul says that we might grow from one degree of glory into another degree of glory. So we have called this series the Garden Principle. And it's based on Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. There's a principle that as we open up Isaiah, we read that we tend to look at life and we see life differently than the way that God sees life. We have the ability uh, to see what we think is a wasteland in life, the hard times, the, the deserts in life, the things that we think nothing good can come from that. And we can call it a wasteland, but as we read in Isaiah 51, verse 3, God sees it differently. He sees it like a garden, a garden of the Lord. And and so we've got this principle that, that God will take us and he will plant us in a garden and he will speak a word to us. And the way that we respond to that word will shape our character and it will shape our destiny. So we call this the garden principle. And today we're going to consider the third characteristic that God wants to cultivate in you and me and the people of God, and that's the characteristic of peace. Did you hear what Jesus had to say today in the reading out of Matthew? We're going to consider this godly characteristic of peace, but Jesus says that he didn't come to bring peace. Does that strike you as odd? In fact, he even says, I've come to bring a sword. So how do we reconcile this fact that Jesus is saying he didn't come to bring peace, but yet it's a godly characteristic that we find in Galatians chapter 5? 
mean, don't we all want peace? We're surrounded by chaos in our world. Doesn't God really want us to know peace? I mean, did Jesus really say that he didn't come to bring peace? How do we reconcile that? Do you realize that when we open up the the Bible, the pages of Scripture, and we read a particular piece of Scripture, and we don't really understand it, we've got two choices when we come to that place. We can can believe that, that what we're reading, that God is wrong in what he's saying. And let me just say before I get to the second choice, that's the wrong choice. God cannot contradict himself. He is truth. He is absolute truth. So the word of God is without error. So option number one does not apply. But when we come to a reading and we, we, we find it hard and it seems to contradict itself, then maybe we don't understand. That's the right choice. Maybe there's more that we need to know. As we try to put that, that reading in a larger narrative, in a larger context of the full counsel of the Bible. So what is Jesus saying today? Don't think I've come to bring peace, but the sword. I mean, what other things did Jesus say about peace to help us understand this as we put it in a larger context? Well, just consider John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says this to his disciples, my peace I give you. I give you my peace. Not as the world gives peace, I give you my peace. Or we read in John 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Do you realize he said peace be with you more times than not when he appeared to to people in the resurrection appearances just in that upper room when the disciples were fearful and they were hiding on the day of of the resurrection John 20 verse 19 Jesus appears and what does he say peace be with you I mean we read what Jesus says about peace we even can go back to the Old Testament, Psalm 29, 11. The Lord gives strength to his people and he blesses his people with peace. We read in Isaiah 53, 5 that, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We read Paul write in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. So the Bible's constantly talking about peace. Jesus is constantly talking about peace and sharing peace and giving peace. But then we read this, this Reading today out of Matthew, what does he mean that he doesn't come to bring peace? Well, again, we got to take it in the wider context of the Bible. We go back and read in Jeremiah, 
one of the prophets or Ezekiel, one of these prophets. You know what a prophet is? A prophet was just one called by God to be the mouthpiece of God. So when you read the prophets, you read the, the prophet speaking in the first person as if it's God speaking to his people. This is where we get the saying, God speaks to his people through his people. And you read in Jeremiah and you read in Ezekiel in the Old Testament that God was dealing with his people who were grossly disobedient to him. And he addresses his people through his prophets. But with Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he's actually speaking to a, 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 a group of people, uh, the false prophets, leaders, uh, religious leaders of the people that are supposed to be responsible for leading the people of God, Israel, Judah, in the ways of God. And we read in Jeremiah 23, the Lord says, Woe, woe to you priests and woe to you prophets. You say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And you read in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11, that the Lord says to the people that are leading His people astray, He says, you are dressing my people, you're dressing their wound as though it's not serious. You're saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And the prophet says that, that you're not even ashamed of your lowly conduct. Do you, hear, do you hear what the prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel are saying to the people of God? He's saying to the leaders that you're, you're trying to comfort the people in their rebellion against God. Peace, peace when there is no peace. And in the same way, Jesus is doing that. In that reading today. He's speaking in the same vein as Jeremiah. Do you realize what the Hebrew word for peace is? It's shalom. And you know what the meaning of shalom is? Well-being. So think, here's the prophet Jeremiah, prophet Ezekiel. God is speaking to them while the people of God are doing their own thing. They're grossly disobedient. They're rebelling against God. They are alienated from God. And the religious leaders of that day are looking on the scene and they're saying, peace, peace, shalom, well-being. All is well. Nothing's wrong. Everything's great. They saw the people of God doing what they're doing They're alienated from God by their sin, their disobedience. They're doing their own thing, and they're saying, peace. It's all fine with God. It is well with God. And today, Jesus is saying the very same thing. Don't think that I've come to bring a shallow blessing to the status quo. No, it's just the opposite. Families, whole families, families that that have the best shot to have a sense of well-being and peace. Jesus is saying that they're going to be divided because of the way each person responds to him. In other words, Jesus is declaring that the problem of our sin 
Our alienation, our separation from God cannot be glossed over lightly. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And you know what? Things haven't changed much today, have they? 2,000 years removed from Jesus, even longer from Jeremiah. There are those that today are still pronouncing peace, peace, when there is no peace. We live in a culture today that, that people are just wound up with anxiety. It seems to be everywhere. And we have high priests of the day, secular and cultural high priests. We have these that, that are saying the very same thing, but they're saying it in a different way. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Just cut on the TV. Scan through the internet. Listen to what people are saying from pulpits. Peace and prosperity. Downplaying behavior. There is no eternal judgment. You're saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. You're treating the wound of God's people lightly. It's no different today. We live in a culture today that bows down at the altar of the latest idea, the latest trend, the latest drug, the latest pop psychology, a culture that wants to tell us how to overcome the anxiety that we live with every day. Just do this. You know, we do this. I want to go where the weather is warm and the beer is cold. I'm going to practice some kind of breathing technique. Maybe a little aromatherapy. The world tells us what to do to try to find peace when there really is no peace. You ever thought about it? You ever considered that maybe worry, maybe anxiety is something that God actually wants to use in our lives? You ever thought about that? I mean, we all deal with worry and anxiety, but have you ever thought that maybe that could be placed as kind of God's alarm system? To let us know that, you know what, we're alienated from God. Don't we know alienation from God? Being separated from Him? Don't we know alienation from each other? Being separated from each other? Don't we even know alienation from ourselves? When we stumble with the question, who are you? Have you ever considered that Worry and anxiety can actually be a gift if we understand how God wants to use it in our life. But so often what happens when, when we deal with the worry and anxiety of the life that we're, that we're living, we turn to problem solving. This is what we do. We're going to try to fix it so we can get into the state of peace. And when we problem solve, what we're doing is that we're removing the very symptom, trying to remove the very symptom that God has placed in us to say, you know what? You're out of alignment with me. You're alienated from me. 
So what do we do? We take a pill. We take a drink. We pursue some kind of relationship. We try to find anything to relieve or find peace. Because you see, there's a gaping hole within us. There's this alienation between us and God. There's this tremendous void that echoes in our soul. And guess what? It bubbles up every time we experience the emotion of anxiety and worry. You've heard it said many times before, the great church thinker, church father, Augustine. Isn't that what he said? My soul is restless until it finds rest in you, peace. Or Pascal said it this way, inside every human breast is a God-shaped void that only God can fill. Have we ever considered that the worry and the anxiety that we experience in life is a result of this basic alienation, this separation from God at a particular moment in a particular place in our lives? A void that can only be filled by God. Isn't that exactly what we read in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You see, our response is one of turning to Jesus in our emptiness and letting him fill us with the gift of his peace, shalom, well-being. This is why we read in the gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus asked the question, why are you anxious? Why are you worrying? Turn to me. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. You know, wait. Corey Timboon said that. Corey Timboon said this that worry is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. You see, the only way that we can move from problem solving, trying to create our own peace, is to actually make a life change. And the way that we do that with this alienation that we have from God is to respond to the invitation that Jesus makes to come into a relationship with him. Well, you ask, well, what is anxiety? What is worry? Well, it's the emotional response of not having enough of what we need for whatever it is that we need. That's what it is. It's the emotional response, not having enough money for what we need money for. It's the emotional response of not having the relationship for what we need the relationship for. It's the emotional response of, of not having the future for what the, we want the future to be. It's the emotional response for not having purpose and identity in life for what we want it to be. We don't get it, so what do we do? We worry. It's like rocking in a chair. We spend a lot of energy with worry and anxiety, and we don't get anywhere. It's this basic alienation from the one who can meet us with every need that we have in life, the one who loves us more than we can imagine. It's our alienation from him that manifests itself in our lives as worry and anxiety. 
And it's when we turn to him and we recognize this alienation that we seek to be reconciled with God. And it's then and only then that he gives us shalom. He gives us well-being. He gives us his peace. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord has created this feeling of emptiness within all of us. He put this void there, and he knows about it. He put it there so that we would hunger and that we would thirst after him. Yet, but what we try to do is fill this void with so many different things that don't work. We try to problem solve. And that alienation often manifests itself in our lives as worry and anxiety. So you say, well, okay, well, how does God cultivate this supernatural characteristic of peace? We are in the garden principle. What garden does he use to cultivate peace? What wilderness do we think that we're in that God can use to make it peace? He grows peace in the wilderness of alienation, which manifests itself in the experience of worry and anxiety. In other words, he takes that worry and that, and that anxiety in the garden and he cultivates it into peace. And he does that by recognizing that we recognize that we are alienated from him. And he allows this emotional experience of worry and anxiety, his warning signal to say that something's wrong in your life right now. That you're separated from me. You're not turning to me. You're not trusting me. We've said every week that when we find a value in the kingdom of God, there's always going to be a counterfeit. Because, you see, the very adversary of our souls, the devil, wants us to believe that, that the lie is the truth. And we bump up against this every, every day of our lives. That we might take the counterfeit and think that's the truth when it's really just a lie. So that when we think that we're living in the truth, we're living in the lie. And the world will see that it's a lie. And that you're no different than me. Take your Jesus. What's the counterfeit to God's peace? Supernatural peace. The fruit of the Spirit peace. Well, it's kind of like love and joy, isn't it? You probably already know. It's the world's peace. That's their counterfeit. That's, that's what we hold on to. We think we have peace when we have the world's peace. There's a huge difference between God's peace and the world's peace. What's the peace of the world? Well, you take all hostility. You get rid of all conflict. You just ease back on the pressure of life. You got money in the bank. You got friends that you like. You, you, you try to find this equilibrium between you and the world. And once you find that, you've got peace. You know what I say? No joke. Yeah, works for me. But here's the deal. You change one thing in that little lineup, 
You, you have financial problems. You, you have stress of, 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 of work. You change one thing in that, and guess what happens to that worldly peace? It flies out the window. That's worldly peace. That's not godly peace. Remember, peace is shalom. It's well-being. The Bible describes peace as this peace of God, this abiding sense of well-being. It's not based on circumstances. It can exist in hostility. It can exist in conflict. It can exist in dire need. We try to find peace apart from God. But it can only be found in Him. In other words, we can't have the peace of God until we have peace with God. And that's big. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 5.1. We can't have the peace of God until we have peace with God. And there might be some here today that are struggling with that. I don't think I've ever made peace with God. I know what it means to worry. I know the anxiety of life. And if that's God's warning signal, then I'm, yes, I'm alienating from him. Count me in. Are we tired yet? I mean, it's just working for us, trying to problem solve our, our peace. Do we really want the peace of God? The peace that abides regardless of conflict, turmoil, or great need, the sense of well-being? Is that what we really want? Because, you see, the promise of peace is, is given to the people of faith. Those who turn to Jesus and, and say, Jesus, only you can fill that void in my life, in my heart. And maybe there are some here today that never have done that. Maybe they've never turned to the Lord. And maybe there are some here that have turned to the Lord, but we still have these little moments of alienation and separation from God, like it's on an installment plan. Areas of our lives where this worry and this anxiety kind of pops up where we've stepped away from God, where there's a pattern in our life where we're with Him, we're not with Him. We're with Him, we're not with Him. Paul addressed that in the first reading today that Murphy read out of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Did you hear what Paul wrote? Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For all of us, what he's saying, if we're worried, if we're anxious about something, just stop. Stop right where we are. And let that be the warning signal from God. Okay, God, I'm worried, I'm anxious. 
then I'm alienated from you. Where am I turning, Lord, to get this fixed rather than turning to you? What Paul is saying in, in, in Philippians, he's saying, take that. Take that worry, take that anxiety, and draw to the Lord. And let that be the very thing that we pray about. The place that we connect with God to be reconciled with Him. Whether it's fill in the blank, money, relationships, health, whatever has caused, caused us to worry and be anxious. Be reconciled with God now. Just stop and let that be a warning signal. And then by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, tell him that we trust him. In other words, let the worry list become the prayer list. Because you see, this is what he has promised. He's promised to give peace. His peace. Not the world's peace. But the peace which passes all understanding. You see, God's peace isn't concerned with the events of the day. But it's based on the boundless love of Jesus. I want to close with this. Y'all all know the story of Peter. Men, you're going to be studying Peter in a couple of weeks. Peter, who was a man for Jesus, he was part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. But yet Peter, when he was faced with the opportunity to profess his relationship to Jesus before he went to the cross, did just the opposite. He denied him, not once, not twice, but he denied him three times. And Jesus goes to the cross, and Jesus dies. And we don't read this in the Scriptures, but I can only imagine the pool that Peter was swimming in, not having had the opportunity to, to go back to Jesus and be reconciled with Jesus, to live in the pool of, of, of worry and anxiety, maybe guilt and shame. But you know the rest of the story, I'm sure. That when Jesus is resurrected, he has a conversation with Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's there, it's there that the Lord Jesus Christ reinstates the relationship with Peter. And it's there that Peter rediscovers his love for the Lord. And I would imagine it's there that he found the peace that passes all understanding. See, I pray that we're flooded with this inner sense of well-being, God's peace, in the face of everything that we're going through today. Because, you see, that's the peace that passes all understanding. And it just doesn't make sense kind of like joy it just doesn't make sense how can I be experiencing peace when my life is falling apart 
It's only found in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Where are we trying to problem solve our peace? Where are we turning? What are we trying to do to find peace? That's just a counterfeit. And that's what the adversary wants us to believe in. God wants to grow his supernatural characteristic of peace in us. The world can't do that. But he can. And he wants to do it in you and in me. Let's pray. Peace, peace, when there is no peace, Lord. Forgive me for trying everything to find peace, but not turning to you to find the real peace that can pass all understanding. Thank you, Lord, that you want to grow this character within us. That the world might see you, Lord, manifest in us with this godly peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.